Hello and welcome to One Light, Dialogues on Religion with Dr. Farhad Shafti and your host, Veronica Polo. In this series of talks, Farhad and I discuss the role of religion and spirituality using the Islamic tradition as our framework, while simultaneously searching for universal truths that go beyond religious affiliation. Join us on our journey to untangle common misconceptions and deepen our understanding of the monotheistic tradition and beyond. Hello, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. So we are a couple of weeks in, I believe, in Ramadan, and uh, I'm wondering how it's going for you, Farhad. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, it is going fine. Um, you're almost reaching the middle of the month, and uh, I just try to, um, like like every other uh, Muslim, I think, I try to, as much as possible, reduce other engagements, ordinary engagements, and then try to put a bit of focus and energy on things that you normally would like to have focus and energy uh, during the month of Ramadan. So that's that's my story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, remember last episode, um, you were talking about how we can improve our spirituality in three dimensions. There's the component of the relationship with ourselves, the component with our relationship with God, and the component of the relationship with others. And just in that moment, I thought of an example that I gave, which is that we could possibly contact our parents more if we think that we're not doing it enough. I mean, it was just an example I had in that moment. But then after the session was over and when Ramadan began, I realized that I should follow through with that example and actually execute it because even though I didn't mean it as like a prescriptive thing for myself, maybe it unconsciously was. Um, my father has passed, so he's not here to talk to. But And my mother and I have a fantastic relationship, alhamdulillah. But I oftentimes, you know, just assume that that connection is there without needing to talk with her because our connection is strong and so maybe a week will pass, we'll send each other text messages and, and and such, but maybe not anything meaningful for a week or so or more. And um, so I thought maybe I should really make an effort in that area. And I mentioned to her, I said, look, mom, obviously she doesn't do Ramadan. She's not Muslim um, in the conventional sense. <laughs> but I, I told her that I was going to do a sort of a challenge and during Ramadan that I was going to either call her or send her a voice message, just telling her details about my day and whatever came to my mind and to my heart. And she thought that was a great idea and that she would try to do the same. So we've been exchanging voice messages every day and they turn out to be rather long. And she said that she's been enjoying it thoroughly because she's learning things about me that she never knew because I'll just go on about whatever. Like the other day I was telling her that I like to go out and just stare at, at some of the trees and the plants and that I just like to see when there's new shoots coming out. I'll just be looking at them for a while. And she said, I do that too. I go out there and look at the plants. And she said, I have to move around so the neighbors don't think I'm crazy. So it's we're learning things about each other through this process of exchanging these long messages. So it's kind of cool. So I'm I'm glad that that came up. I think that's very good. Uh, let me interrupt you and just say that one of the blessings 
that we have, and sometimes we do not really um, take benefit of it, is the blessing of talking with each other. Now, of course, when it is mother and daughter, that's even, even more blessed. But generally, just talking with each other, in a way, it seems like we have, we have lost th- that habit and we are not taking this blessing much more. Um, it is really sad. I mean, uh, you you sit in a, in a bus or in a train or in a train station or a group of people or even in the families, and everybody is working with their mobile phone, and they pretend the other person is not there. Uh, sometimes I know that sometimes people even just to show that they are busy, they just get your mobile their mobile phone in front of them just to not feeling that I, I should say something at this point. I remember that my grandfather used to tell me that, you know, what is this TV that you all sit in front of it? And we used to just gather around and talk every night. And you are not just concentrating on one point, just the TV. Uh, well, these days, uh, <laughs> I'm saying something different to my uh, to young generation. I say, you know, we used to sit in front of one TV and all of <laughs> us just watch one thing together and have the same experience. Now, now you are just scattered around with these mobile phones. So it seems like even concentrating on one point, even if it's going to be a TV, <laughs> is something that we are missing. Uh, yeah. So yes, talking is, is a great blessing, a real talking, you know, not, exactly. not, talking, about, not talking about weather. Real exactly. talking. <laughs> so I'm I'm very glad. I'm very glad that uh, you are taking more benefits from that blessing. And what is what is more blessed than talking with with one's mother? That's that's wonderful. Yes, alhamdulillah. And then the first week of fasting was fine for me because I prepare for Ramadan. I don't know if other people do this or not, but I I incrementally eat less and less leading up to Ramadan so I don't experience the shock. I remember the first time I fasted, I, I it was a, bad, a very bad experience for me. And uh, I hear a lot of other uh, Muslims, especially new Muslims who didn't grow up with this, um, complaining that they they have a really hard time the first three days until their body adjusts. And I think that the body is something that we really need to take care of. So unless we're used to intermittently fasting, which some Muslims do all year, and maybe the body has just learned that. But if you don't fast throughout the rest of the year and your body's not used to it, I just think it's very considerate to our body to just prepare it. So I do that. And then when the first day, it's it's not a shock. Um, so the first week was fine. But this week, it's been very odd. I don't know what's happening or if it's a side effect of fasting or other possible components. But I've noticed that I'm extremely sensitive, not angry, but I just, I'm just very sensitive. Like, and everything is penetrating really easily. Okay, well, thanks for the warning. I will be careful. <laughs> okay, thanks. The other um, day, we had a a little session where with some friends who were honoring the passing of a of a wonderful poet who passed away five years ago. And I think that I shared a poem of his, a Ramadan poem, maybe a year or two ago. But in this session, people were reading his poetry. And I'm, I'm usually not that 
emotional, but the whole time I was crying. And then when I read my poem, I was crying. I mean, I was reading his poem and the poem, which um, I shared with you once is about how Muslims are good at dying because Ramadan has slowly tenderized them because fasting is a kind of a tenderizing. It makes you sort of raw. It takes away all the comforts that we're used to that sort of soften the harshness of life because life can be hard. You know, even just the small thing of, I was mentioning to you earlier that I get cold really easily. I've always had trouble moderating my body temperature. So I like to drink tea throughout the day. I drink a lot of tea and that's that hot liquid is very comforting for me. So I'm not drinking that tea right now. And that's just one example of um, how that just takes away the comfort. It just makes it makes everything feel very raw. And I had a friend tell me that, that fasting also releases things from the muscles, that there's a biological component. I don't know. It could be, but I'm definitely very sensitive. So yes, please no insults, Farhad. Don't be hard on me. <laughs> I will try. Thank you. Okay. So um, in this month, the month of uh, Ramadan, it's a month in which the Quran was revealed or was said to be revealed. And Muslims are expected to engage with the Quran in a more meaningful way than they might do otherwise in the rest of the year. In fact, many Muslims have this goal to try to read the entire Quran. Some don't find this to be a challenge and others do. So how exactly do we approach this? Okay, so perhaps the best way for me to start looking at your question and try to answer it is to talk about one thing that I think many Muslims, in particular those from the Ahl-Sunnah al-Jama'ah background, see or are engaged with during the month of Ramadan, and that is the prayer of Taraweeh, Salat al-Taraweeh. Uh, so as you know, the idea of the prayer of Taraweeh is that you go to the mosque every night and you read prayers in Jama'ah congregation. And uh, normally, normally uh, you do eight units of prayer and uh, some people do more like 20, but normally you do eight. And during these prayers, uh, the Imam starts reading from the beginning of the Qur'an. And the idea is that, as you know, Qur'an has been one measure for units of the Qur'an is juz, which mm -hmm. we have 30 juz of Qur'an, basically mm -hmm. 30 parts. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that every night the Imam reads one part. So they try to finish the whole Qur'an by the end of the month of Ramadan. Some of them even try to go beyond that and then start reading the Qur'an from the beginning in the last few days of the month of Ramadan. This is called Salat al-Taraweeh. Um, I, I don't want to go into detail, too much details about this. Um, if you want, I will. But I think we want to more, talk more about how to benefit from the Qur'an. But just say very briefly, very, very briefly, and there are lots of writings about this people can find, and I've written about this in my website, Exploring Islam, as well, if they want to see the details. Basically, the idea is that this was not originated from the prophets. Uh, this was not what the prophet himself wanted to do. This happened at the time of Khalifa Omar, and even he did not intend to make it the way that it is just now. 
The idea at the time was that uh, people did not know the Quran and uh, individuals who knew it would read the Quran, would lead a few more people who didn't know how to read the Quran in the mosque. And uh, the story goes by that the mosque would become very noisy because it was these different imams reading the Quran, each one of them. Then the Khalifa came and said, well, you know, why don't you have just one person stand in front and the rest of people behind him? Why don't you do it that way? And that was the way that people did it. And the idea of completing the whole Quran in one month was not there at all. That gradually entered into the story. So people started to think, well, you know, the Quran has 30 juz and we have month of Ramadan, 30 days. In fact, I think the, um, the, the very idea that the Quran was divided into 30 juz was to read one part every, every day so that in one month you can finish the Quran. So the idea came that why not just try to finish the Quran in these prayers? I think it's a beautiful idea, and in no way I want to say it's a bad idea. Of course, it's a beautiful idea. We need to, however, consider that it was not originated at the time of the Prophet. It was not something that the companions of the Prophet themselves wanted wanted to do it in this way, finishing the Quran one month during these prayers. We do know that there are narrations from the Prophet that says the best place for reading your non-obligatory prayers is at home. Given all that, I think it's a good practice. However, it can have some undesirable side effects if people do not do it properly. An undesirable side effect is that is this mindset that the purpose and the idea is to finish reciting the whole Quran in one month with no deliberation, with no understanding what is it that I'm reading, just finishing in one month. And that's a dangerous idea. And I can tell you from where that idea has come. The idea is very similar to the idea that in some of the traditional schools for Islam and so-called madrasa, the emphasis is for the, for the kids, young students, just finish reciting the Quran from beginning to the end. Okay, so the school concentrates or the tutor concentrates for them to do this and finish the Quran from beginning to the end. And once they finish it, they say, wow, congratulations, you have done a great achievement. And when you ask that young person, that kid, okay, from all these that you read, how many of the verses you actually went to see what the meaning is, normally the answer is not many. Because the concentration is just in reciting it. Right. I was shocked to know and to see people who were memorizers of the Quran, who false. Mm-hmm. Because the original language is not Arabic, and they don't know the Arabic of the Quran, they just recite the Quran without knowing what is it that they are reciting. Mm-hmm. As good mm-hmm. as, as uh, no disrespect, mm-hmm. but in that sense, it's like a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have seen, I mean, there are wonderful Tarawih prayers going on around us, at least before the pandemic. I'm not denying those. But I've also seen some where a Hafiz is invited. And somehow, because they want to rush into finishing it quickly, because people may get tired, the Hafiz starts reading it. And the person who knows the Arabic of the Quran, cannot understand what he's reciting because of the speed of his recitation. 
It is so fast. It is so fast that even if you know the Arabic of the Quran, you you cannot get it. It's it's like you know when you when you get these uh, lectures on your mobile phone and then there is this facility that you can run at double speed. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like that, triple speed. Uh, <laughs> you just cannot understand what's going on. So I'm not denying the benefit of Salat al-Tarawih. It's a beautiful thing. But we need to be careful that as the side effect, it will not put in our mind this idea that what is important is to finish reading it. No. The Quran is for understanding and the Quran is for letting it affecting our heart. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not deny that just listening the recitation of the Quran, even if you do not know Arabic, does affect the person's heart. I do not deny that. But the effect that you can get by trying to understand it is nowhere to compare with this one. It's tremendous effect. And it is a pity if a Muslim does not get that effect. Now, if somebody tells me, uh, Farhad, as somebody who is is working on understanding the Quran and teaching the Quran for the last, I don't know, 30 years, if somebody tells me, look, I'm a busy person, I get tired very easily, I have two options. Option one, read the whole Quran, without translation this month. Option two, reading one-fifth of the Quran with translation at this month. Which one should I go for? I would answer him, even if it was one-tenth, I would say go for that. Because understanding the meaning is very important because that's the way you will be able to open your heart to what the Quran is trying to tell you. Okay, so then how do we read the Quran? What's the best way to do it? Do we read it chronologically only as far as we're able to get during the month of Ramadan and the times that we have? Is it okay to just open it to a random page and see what what those pages say to us? You know, maybe there's more inspiration by doing it that way, or how do we do it? Well, it's interesting that you said. Do we read it in order, chronological, etc.? Perhaps you noticed just before our session today, I sent another message to Exploring Islam uh, Telegram channel. And I put there a Quran that is closer to the order of revelation of the chapters, as you know. Yeah, I saw that. And it's a question that a lot of people have. Why is the Quran in the order that it is in when it is not in historically chronological order? Yeah. So, of course, we don't want to go into those scholarly discussions, technical discussions, but let me just say that there are two views about this. So one view is that uh, the order of chapters of the Quran, as we have it today, are divine. The Prophet himself has put them in that order. And then normally these people try to justify why the order is like this, and they try to show that there's a relationship between the chapters that are closer to each other. Uh, The other view is that, no, actually, there wasn't any divine instruction about this. This was basically the companions themselves who decided to go for that order, excluding the Surat al-Fatiha. The other chapters would be from longest to smallest. Of course, there are some variations in the middle, but that would be overall the way of doing it. There is a view that says that perhaps 
the idea of starting from long and then reaching the smallest one, perhaps the idea could be um, affected by some biblical literature where traditionally longer passages, I'm not talking about Bible itself, just, you know, literature, Christian and Jewish literature, uh, that traditionally longest chapters would come first and then smaller would go at the end. So that's a technical issue. But to answer your question, this is not time and place for me to say which view I think is, is perhaps stronger. But to answer your question, I would say read it in any way that suits you from beginning or just open it up. Given that we know that the order that the current a compilation of the Quran is, is not the order of revelation. Therefore, by opening it up randomly, you are not breaking any logics here. Because from the beginning, I mean, after Surah Al-Fatiha, the first chapter is Baqara, that was revealed when the Prophet was in Medina. So already it is not in any chronological order, mm-hmm. uh, in time-wise. So if you open it from anywhere, that would be totally fine. Now, to move on and say how we can benefit from it. You see, so I talked about recitation of the Quran, okay? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it's good. Of course, it's beautiful. It can affect our heart, but we need to do something more than that. So the next step is to, okay, so so what should we do? Then we try to understand the Quran. Is that what I'm saying? Well, yes and no. And I will try to explain what I mean Oh, yes and no. Yes, because, well, if you want to open your heart to the Quran, you need to understand what it says. So of course, yes. But no, because I've been to many, many Quran circles and trying to be there and help them. And what I see is that many times, many times, people concentrate on trying to understand some detailed technical things about the verses of the Quran that at the end of the day is not going to change and affect them spiritually in any way. It's good for knowledge, it's good for curiosity, but it is not going to change anything for them. Okay, so one verse of the Quran says Prophet Shu'aib went to the city of Aika. Another verse of the Quran says Prophet Shu'aib went to a city of Madian. Are these the same cities or are these separate? Wow. We can spend days talking about that. But they're over-intellectualizing. And, yeah. and, the, and there's nothing like the mind to be a, a veil for the heart. I mean, the mind's, I mean, we need the mind, it's important, but there's a limit. There's definite limit to that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that I appreciate human being is curious. Knowledge by itself is valuable. So yes, you know, if the person asks the question, then of course it's inquiry that needs to be looked at. But we should not forget that there's reason. There's there's another reason for this Quran. The Quran itself says that we have to send this Quran as shafa, as cure, as shafa, as cure, as rahma, as compassion for your heart. Okay, how am I going to get that cure and that rahma, compassion? by trying to understand whether Madian and Aika were the same cities or they were different. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do I say, so recitation is good, but you need to understand the meaning? Yes and no. Yes, because, well, you need to understand what it says at least on the surface level so that you can open your heart to it. But no, 
when it comes to these technical details. These technical details are good for scholarly discussions, but for the very first purpose of the Quran, which is that cure and compassion, they're not relevant. Mm -hmm. so then what should we do? We need to see, if, if I want to benefit from the Quran, what I will do is that if I know the chapters of the Quran, if I know which verses are the ones that I feel they are, they are affecting me more, I will go and read those chapters, those verses, okay? If you're not sure about it, well, open it up, read from anywhere you want. Don't, don't feel you are doing anything wrong. If you read part of it and you feel that, okay, you know, of course it's a Quran, but this part is not connecting with my heart just now. Okay, so I want to I want to go a little bit forward. I want to browse through and see which parts uh, does link with me. Uh, there's nothing wrong to think that at times parts of the Quran may affect your heart, while the other parts at that point may not affect your heart. There's nothing wrong with that. The Prophet used to read certain chapters of the Quran during his prayers. These are recorded. Which chapters he liked to read more? Does that mean that the Prophet did not value the other chapters of the Quran? Of course not. But as a human being, he, he liked some chapters more than the others. So my suggestion is that during the month of Ramadan, whether people are going to Tarawi or not, that's another thing. Whether they want to just read the Quran from beginning to the end just to have this nice feeling that I finish it, they can do it. No problem with that. But also, open up a time when you deliberate on the Quran, and when I said when I say deliberate on the Quran, I'm not talking about that example of that question about Prophet Shaib. I mean, opening it up, reading parts, browsing through, find the parts that catches your heart, and then read those parts and, and repeat them. You see, one of the things about books like the Quran. And when I say books like the Quran, I don't mean in terms of being revealed from God. I mean in terms of the function. Books like the Quran are not textbooks. These are books for reminding us. Zikr. Zikr is one of the names of the Quran. Mm -hmm. There are many books, even written by human beings, that are really for reminding us about something. They want to touch your heart. They don't want to just and only touch your brain. They want to touch mm -hmm. your heart. Quran is one of those books. One of the things about these kinds of books is that you repeat something. You read something and you, you just repeat it. Repeat it again, repeat it again. That's very good. We have in the narrations, sometimes the prophet would do that in his prayers. He would read parts of the Quran and he would reach a verse of the Quran. And he would then keep reading that verse a few times as if he wanted that verse to settle in his heart. And once he found that, okay, he is now spiritually, not intellectually, spiritually satisfied with what he can get from that verse, then he would proceed to the verses after. This is how perhaps we can try to open our heart to let the Quran affect our heart. That shafa and rahmah, cure and compassion will come like this. So if I open up the Quran and I'm reading about a battle and I'm not really resonating with the battle verses because that happens to me then i just go on to another part i see no problem with that you see again there are, there are two things here okay so for instance 
I do say that, you know, we, our concentration should not be on finishing the Quran, okay? But there's nothing wrong with a person thinking that, you know, I want to have two readings of the Quran during the month of Ramadan or any time. So in one reading, I want to finish the Quran in one or two months with citation. Okay, that's absolutely fine, right? If the person can understand the Quran while reading it, then even better. But even if not, the person may say, I just want to finish the Quran in one month. Just the feeling that I'm finishing it in one month gives me a very blessed feeling. So that's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That would be one reading. The second reading is the reading with deliberation. And when I say deliberation, I, that with the definition that I just gave, not to try to go to any technical detail. In that one, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being selective. Okay, A friend of mine, a female relative, she used to tell me that, look, I read the Quran, when I get to the verses on inheritance, for instance, or when I get to the verses about divorce and marriage, I don't, uh, the word that you used, I don't resonate with them. I don't get that feeling. And sometimes, sometimes I even think that, oh, you know, I'm not tired. I don't want to just close the book and do something different. And she said, is it okay if I skip those verses and go to some other verses that I, that I feel more linked with them? And I said, yeah, absolutely. What's, what's wrong with that? Absolutely. We need to understand this. Now, there's something very important here. The Quran has had a function for its direct addresses. And the Quran has a function for the rest of the audience, including us. The direct addresses of the Quran share both functions. The rest of the addresses of the Quran, including you and me, only benefit from one of those functions, not the first one. So the first function was the function of warning, enzar, warning, which with it came establishment of the Muslim Ummah. So it is in this function that the Quran warns people, that you people who are benefiting from directly hearing things from Prophet Muhammad or through his companions at this time, you have no excuse once this message reaches you in full and you are convinced about it. Then you have no excuse. If you deny this message at that point, that will be only because of your arrogance and enmity, not because you are mentally not convinced. So then the punishment of God will come to you. And this is the sunnatullah. This is the way that God works in Abrahamic religions. That's the same reason that the people of Noah were punished. The same people that people of Lot were punished. They denied directly the messenger of God while being convinced about his message or they were being arrogant enough not to even allow themselves to hear that message clearly. This is the function of Inzar. That function does not apply to us anymore. Because we are not in front of the Prophet. We cannot ask our questions from the Prophet. We cannot ask the Prophet whether Madian and Aika were the same city or not. Yeah? So we are not, we are not in the same situation at the direct addresses of the Prophet. Yes, warning in a general sense still applies to us, meaning that if you 
develop yourself to be a bad person, then you will see consequences in the hereafter. So warning in that sense also applies to us. But warning in that very technical sense, that broad punishment, even in this world for those people, that does not apply to us. The establishment of the Ummah also is not applying to us because it, it is already established. That's why we have this conversation. We have this conversation for Ummah. Yeah, so that was also established. So the function of Enzar is a function that is only for the direct addresses of the Prophet in its technical way. Uh, generally, I appreciate that warning applies to everybody. What is the second function? The second function is zikr, the Quran says. So the Quran, when it refers to it, it says it's for inzar, warning, also says it's for zikr, for reminding. That zikr, that applied to the direct addresses of the Quran and also applies to us. So this zikr requires different attitude towards the Quran. You see, for the function of inzar and establishing the ummah, of course, you need to understand what are the rules of inheritance and what should we do if we want to divorce our wives uh, and all those things. What we borrow money, what should we do? Of course, you need to listen to all of these very carefully. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. For us, well, other people are taking care of those rules. Whether those rules apply at our time or not, that's another thing. But other people, scholars, you know, the country, uh, they are taking care of those things. For us, mm-hmm. not the function is, is zikr. Reminder. Reminder to our heart, not to our brain. Mm -hmm. So if we want our heart to be reminded, then we need to open the Quran in that way. And we need to approach the Quran in that way. And that's why I'm saying that, you know, yeah, you you read a message in the Quran, you read some verses and feel that, okay, I'm not really linking with these verses. Yeah, you can pass, you can see the other parts of the Quran. Having said that, Veronica, I also want to make another point here, and that is, I think, once the person becomes closer and closer to the Qur'an and allow the Qur'an to enter his heart, then even reading the messages about war or inheritance or divorce, even those messages will Mm -hmm. affect his heart spiritually. You know why? Because you, you gave example of Baba, a few sessions ago, a, a great um, Muslim um, scholar, I shouldn't say maybe scholar, maybe Sufi would be a better title. Yeah, he had a lot of titles. I would say uh, a Muslim uh, teacher, um, Muslim sheikh. Sheikh. sheikh, I mean, people call them a sheikh. A sheikh, a Muslim teacher. But from what I hear from you, and of course, what I have read, he was a person that people would benefit from for him more than knowledge spiritually. I would imagine easily that when Baba, for instance, were talking for people, even if he was talking about how to cook something, people would still listen to him and they would still get benefit from the way that he would talk because you realize what is this person that he's talking. Mm -hmm. Of course, this this is just a normal person being a human being. If you imagine that the Quran was revealed by the Almighty, yeah, uh, then if we let the Qur'an enter our heart, then just like that example of that great spiritual sheikh, 
then whenever you listen to the Quran and read any part of the Quran, even if it is something very technical, like war, like rules, etc., you still feel that spiritual wave is coming to your heart. You mm-hmm. still feel that cure and compassion is coming to us. You are reading the verses about punishment in the hell. <laughs> Illustration of the punishment in the hell. And when you read it, you still feel compassion coming to your heart. Wow. <laughs> That's hard for me. But yeah, I, I can see that. Okay. <laughs> so I think I should pause here and listen to your thoughts and reflections. I don't know. I don't have any right now. Okay. So I suggest when we read the Quran, some of the concepts that we can consider, we can pay attention to. Some of the concepts would be the concept of Rahmah, compassion of the Almighty, the concept of uh, akhlaq, morals and morality, and the concepts of uh, taqwa, taskiya, piety, purification, the concept of sirq, honesty, the concept of haq, truth, and more importantly, the concept that I think captures the whole Quran, and that would be the concept of seeing, understanding, and appreciating that existence is far beyond what we can see with our eyes, and that this our existence is not limited to this 70, 80, 90 years that we live in this earth. It's much more than that. Yes. It's much richer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wow factor is still to come, you know? Mm-hmm. It's still to come. Uh, that is that vibe that you, you get from the Quran when you read it from beginning to the end, even when, when it is verses about regulations and all that, because even those verses on a regular basis remind us about these things. Uh, it's easy to lose the plots. It's easy to think that this is it, basically. And I wake up in the morning and I do this work and then I sleep and I keep doing that and one day I will die and this is it, right? It, this is not it. <laughs> it's, it. It's understanding that our existence, I'm not talking about God's existence. God's existence, we know. Our existence never had a start and we'll never have an end. Hmm, that's interesting. Are, I mean, we, I, are, I, we are feeling it and experiencing, experiencing it just now. And in this tiny, tiny, tiny little phase of looking at it, we think that the start of it was when we were born. And uh, well, if you are not a religious person or spiritual person, you will then think that, and then I die, that's the end. Even if you are a religious person or spiritual person, you may have some doubts that, well, is it really not the end when I die? And what I'm saying is that uh, one of the best one of the best answers that I heard somewhere when somebody was asked, how do you know that when you die, you still exist and that's not the end? How do you know that death is not the end? 
and he answered, how can something that never had a beginning could have an end? Something that never had beginning, how can it um, have an end? I thought from an Islamic perspective that the soul sort of appeared at certain point during the process of conception or maybe a month or two afterwards, I forget what the Quran says. And the infinity part came afterwards. I've never heard of that soul existing beforehand. From where did that soul started? Well, I see that soul as an expression of the many expressions of God. And if I were to talk about things from an evolutionary perspective, which you know I like to do, and is not necessarily the perspective that the Quran uses, we know that the universe expands. It may expand and contract. It expands. There was a time when there was no life on this planet, and then there was. And the amount of complexity of life has evolved. So for me, it's the more complex, the more elaborate the life conditions are, the greater the range of expression God has for expressing his consciousness. Yes, very good. So let me say what you just said in a different way with the verses of the Quran. So what you said was that you said you thought that at a certain point, spirit will be with the body and that would be the, the beginning. And I think in a way you are right. But remember, from where that spirit is coming, the verse of the Quran says, ruhi. We have talked about this verse a number of times, I think, by now. I blew from my spirit to this being that became Adam and became human being. So that was the source. And that source never had a beginning. That source well, I guess, was always there. I guess we can say that potential always existed. That potential it's, was it's, always it's, there. It's more than potential. It's more than potential. He says, I blew to him from my own spirit. What are you talking about? There's no potential here. The whole spirit, he says, I blew to him from my own spirit. And then on the other side, yeah, what is the verse that we always read when we hear about death of people? We belong to God. And to God we return. And we go back to him. What does it mean when it says when we belong to God? It doesn't mean just in terms of we being servants of God. We belong to God because we are that soul that he blew. We have mm -hmm. come out from that, actually, right? So right. there is no beginning. There is no beginning and there is no end, basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's good. So let me, uh, I'm conscious of time. So let me just uh, say a story. And then I will leave it to you too, if you want to finish it or want to say anything, or if there's any question that we need to answer. And this story is a very nice story. I think I've said that to you before, but perhaps the people who listen to this may have all heard this story. Um, unfortunately, I have lost the track where I read this story. And I really like to know where this story is. Like somebody who is listening to this know where this is, Please, please remind me. I think, I think this is from Ibn Arabi in his Futuhat Makki. This is my thinking and my memory, but I'm not sure. And the story goes like this. 
there was this Quran teacher and he would advise his students to read the Quran every day and then come to the class at the end of the week to discuss what they read. And there was one of the students that he in particular liked a lot because he would see that this student would pay more attention and, and feels more when he reads the Quran. And one day the student came and he was pale and he, he, he sounded to be very tired. So this scholar asked him, what has happened to you? Why are you like this? And he said, well, I really wanted to finish the Quran, the whole Quran in the last three days. So despite all the other things that I needed to do, I stayed up during the nights trying to finish it. So I didn't get enough uh, rest and enough sleep. So uh, I'm a bit tired, but I'm okay. So then the Ustad says to him, knowing that he is a student that has potential, the Ustad says to him, okay, next time when you want to read the whole Quran from beginning to the end, read it as if you're reading it to me. And then come tell me what happens. So finish that. Read it as if you are reading it to me. Once you finish, come to me. So the student goes back and he comes after two months. And then those thoughts says, well, you took your time. What took you that much? And he said, well, because you said, when I read it, I need to think that I'm reading it to you. So therefore, I would arrive on many verses and I would then say, oh, what would Ustad says about this verse? Uh, if I ask Ustad this question, what would he say about this verse in my teacher? So it, it had me pause and thinking about some of these verses. So it took me more and more time. So then the Ustad tells him that, okay, now what I want you to do, go and read the Quran and pretend that you are reading it for the prophet. So the student goes, and the story says that it took a long, 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 long time. I can't remember how much, how long, but maybe one year at least. And then the student comes back and he starts says, so what happened? He said, well, I was reading this. And for every verse that I would read, I would say to myself, what does prophet, feel, what did prophet feel? when he re received this verse? What was his feeling? What was going on in his heart for which this verse had to come? And once this verse arrived, how his heart was comforted by it. And that took me a long, long time. <clears throat> so then the Ustad says to him, okay. <clears throat> Ustad says to him, okay, uh, now this time, I want to read the Quran. And I want you to think that God is in front of you. The mm. student goes, and he does not come back. <laughs> it's a long time passes. So the Ustad goes after, after a long time and visits the student because he knows what has happened. Visits the student and he finds that he's in a very uh, different appearance. It appears that has has had a difficult, challenging times, not physically, but spiritually. And he says to him, how far of the Quran have you read, thinking that God is in front of you? I said, well, I'm still at the beginning of Surah Al-Fatiha. Alhamdulillah. And the Ustad tells him why. He says, well, because I say, 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. So praise to God, the Lord of the worlds. Ar-Rahmanirrahim, the compassionate, the merciful. Maliki Yawmitin, the owner of the day of judgment, the day of getting rewards and punishments. Only you we worship, and only from you we seek help. When I reached that verse, I couldn't say it, because you said, think that God is in front of you. Mm. And I thought, I cannot say that, because I'm not like this. I won't be honest if I say that. How can I say only you I worship? Because remember, worshiping is not just prostrating. How can I say only you I worship and only from you I, I seek help? How can I say that? So I couldn't say it. So I'm working on my soul so that I can maybe try to say this. Um, and imagine we say this in our prayers every day, of course, and we should say it, of course. But for us, the process is the other way around. So that student was trying to get to that spiritual situation so that he could say those words. For us, it's the other way around. We say those words so that maybe by saying those words, we can reach them from our tongue and from our brain to our heart, and we get to the point that we really say those words. And that would be one of the best examples of opening heart to the Quran and allow Quran to bring cure and compassion to our hearts. It's mm, beautiful. It reminds me of a friend who, when people would ask her if she was Muslim, her response would be, inshallah. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the true meaning of that word is is, is hard to, difficult, to, difficult to, to really embody if we really know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Farhad. It's been wonderful. So in the next episode, we will talk about how to make prayers more meaningful and this will be our last of our three-part ramadan series for this ramadan season <laughs> very good yes uh, we hope we hope you will join us then looking forward looking forward and uh, i think um we can use the rest of this month of ramadan to really look inside our heart and try to see how we can make it a better heart <laughs> by the end of month of Ramadan. And as I said, I think last time, making it better heart does not necessarily need to be just in terms of our relationship with the Almighty. It could be about our relationship with others and can also be about our relationship with ourselves. You know, that's also very important. Being good to ourselves, you know, having compassion to ourselves, coming to some peace with ourselves. I hope that we can all do something there and I ask everybody to pray for everybody in this month. Yes, yes. All right, thank you. Thank you. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. We welcome feedback at onelightchat at gmail.com. That's onelightchat, O-N-E-L-I-G-H-T-C-H-A-T at gmail.com or leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash veronica polo peace and blessings